0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week we are joined on the show by Gabe Tiller, the founder of the Orogenesis Collective, who has embarked on a very ambitious and very cool plan to build the longest mountain bike trail in the world, spanning from British Columbia all the way to the southern tip of Baja, Mexico. So, essentially sort of a mountain bike Pacific Crest Trail of sorts. And so, this week we sat down to chat with Gabe about the idea for the trail in the first place, how he came up with the plan and has developed the route and the current status of construction, what you can do to help further the project, and a whole lot more. Before we get into that, though, I do want to take a quick moment to encourage you to check out our Blister membership, including all of the member deals that we have available for those folks, with a whole bunch more that we'll be launching soon, and also the ability to send an email in and have me talk you through your next bike purchase, gear upgrade, or whatever else it is that you might be considering for your bike. So check it out. There's a link in the show notes. A lot of good stuff in there. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Gabe Tiller of the Orogenesis Collective. Well, Gabe, it's great to sit down and chat and pleasure to have you on. And our task here today is sort of to tell the story of this very large, quite ambitious trail building project you've got going, Orogenesis, which we'll get into here momentarily. But just kick it
1: off. Just how are you today and where are you today? Hi. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, having me on and, and wanting to talk about orogenesis. Genesis. I'm um, doing really good. So I've got a nice fall weather this weekend, getting, to go out and uh, ride in the local trail system here in Oregon. I live in a little town called mill city, which is about an hour and a half South of Portland. Uh, and it's really close to the Oregon timber trail and the old cascade Crest system, trail system in the, in the, uh, central cascades of Oregon.
0: Right on. Well, like you said, we're kind of here to talk about Orogenesis. So to kick it off, how about you just
1: tell us what that is in your own words? Yeah, it's uh white ambitious or audacious, like you mentioned, um, it is a 5,000 mile long mountain bike route uh, across North America and, um, you know, can't take credit for the idea. Uh, obviously, every, ever since the PT, PCT has existed and mountain bikes have existed, mountain bikers have wanted to have a similar experience as Pacific Cross Trail hikers. Uh, so, you know, I, I've talked about it with people probably for, you know, 10, 15 years now. And, uh, you know, the conversation usually goes towards just allowing bikes on the PCT because it, they've done a great job building this really excellent trail through the, you know, most scenic areas of the, you know, the, the West Coast. So, um, I don't think that's very likely. Uh, so, we, we sort of set out with a, uh, an inventory process of public lands uh, through Washington, California, Oregon. Just to really determine if this was at all possible or if there was going to be any major wilderness blockades, private land blockades, National Park, you know, uh, just areas that we couldn't access or bikes weren't allowed in.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that is quite an ambitious project to stitch together such a great length of trail. And particularly, as you've sort of noted here, having it all be mountain bike accessible because there are just generally more restrictions to allowing bike traffic than there are for hikers through a lot of these areas and so uh i guess one i mean this what you've said about the origin of the idea totally makes sense but what sort of keyed you into the idea that this was really going to be possible and what did you find when you first started looking into what you could link together because obviously it's one thing to sort of accumulate a bunch of existing trail and link it together and then add new bits between to connect them as needed rather than building the entirety of the 5000 plus miles from scratch right so what did you find when you started diving in and
1: seeing what existed already i guess well in 2015 i was doing guided bikepacking trips uh in Oregon and putting together routes for these trips, like the, you know, as was part of the Oregon Outback uh, that started, I think, in 2013, 2014. Um, we also produced this route called Three Sisters, Three Rivers, which sort of connects these five um, premier mountain biking areas in Oregon. Uh, and then this idea of a, a trail that spans the whole state from border to border uh, came up that the state's tourism agency was really interested in creating something like that. And it, it really sort of opened my eyes instead of just piecing together trails I knew were there and maintained. I saw, you know, uh, the opportunity to, to leverage the tourism industry's interest and stuff like that to actually reopen trails that have been neglected for decades. So the, the entire Fremont tier of the Oregon timber trail, uh, almost 200 miles long, you know, was this large part of it is this trail that, uh, you know, I think it's 140 miles of the Fremont national recreation trail. And I just heard horror stories of people seeing it on a map and going and trying to ride it, you know, for years. And I poked around in trailheads, and it was, you know, mostly just impossible to even find traces of in a lot of areas. So, um, once we founded the Oregon Timber Trail Alliance, we were actually able to dedicate a lot of resources and volunteer hours to restoring that trail, and you know we're even working on building new trail connectors where there's uh, gaps in that now. So um, that process really showed me that, that that was possible. So instead of just you know linking up all those everybody's favorite trails that are well maintained, I realized that I could actually start. Pouring over maps and finding all these neglected trails and, and really just doing an inventory of, of trails um, that it, that it at least exist on a map, you know, in the official inventory uh, of the land managers, whether or not they were, you know, rideable at, at this point, that makes them much easier to restore versus building an entirely new trail from scratch. Uh, so that's sort of where the process started. And that, that's where I, you know, really, saw that the, that was a feasible and was a possibility.
0: That makes sense. And when you say that the trails were easier to resurrect than build anew, do you mean more in terms of just permitting and approval for them or more just the physical work of putting in a trail or sort of some
1: combination thereof? Yeah, definitely um, both, but really more the, the red tape involved You know, you, you need to have a you know, at least on federal lands, forest service lands, which is most of the, the Oregon Timber Trail and, and also most most of Orogenesis, uh you need a volunteer service agreement to to do volunteer maintenance on trails, uh, which is, you know, well it has some some barriers to getting, but uh for the most part pretty simple. Uh if you're building a new trail, you know, that a new trail is, you know, it's three to five years is sort of a quick uh, turnaround to get actually to get approval to break ground on a new trail. Um, so, yeah, these trails there, there's there is an official inventory of of forest service trails. So cross referencing that, making sure these trails that are essentially abandoned um, but are still in the inventory are you know prime for for restoration. Right,
0: that makes sense. And so once you started wading into it and looking at what that. Official inventory was kind of what did you find? Where how contiguous a thing could you put together with trails that at least theoretically exist, rather than having to build new connectors from scratch? And what were the gaps like? What did you come up with there?
1: Yeah, you know it's it's a, a massive project. So it's five thousand miles right now from the Canadian border all the way to Cabo. Uh, about 1,600 miles are along the Baja Divide. And that's almost entirely just Jeep roads, uh, which are, you know, they're not, they well-graded gravel roads that we have in most of the U.S. They're actually, you know, they're roads, but they're almost a single track experience. So I haven't focused too much on finding or creating trails in Baja, at least yet. Um, and I know there's a lot of opportunity to extend the trail into Canada, but uh, for the most part, we've been focusing on. Washington and California, because the Oregon Timber Trail already exists. So, really looking at those states uh, first. Did that public lands inventory, like I'm, like I mentioned, to make sure there wasn't any major uh, barriers. You know, even if we had to build a new trail, make sure that we, that would be feasible. There wasn't any wilderness or other uh, impediments to building new trails. But then that inventory process of, of trails that are out there. You know, there's really. Just, just even in Washington and California, you know that's probably two to three thousand miles of <laughs> of route through those states. So, uh, no way I can get out and actually assess um, what what state everything is in. So, you know, over the past five or so years, we built this this group uh, of scouts. Uh, we're calling the Origenesis Collective, and these regional scouts have just you know. Some people go out one week a year, other people have spent literally weeks uh riding parts of Orogenesis and you know, producing really detailed trip reports with photos and a bunch of diff- you know, exploring a bunch of different options via mountain bike, via truck, via motorcycle, um, just really hitting the ground and, and getting uh a lot of different options on the map. And we lay out lay all those options out and uh last winter really looked at them all and refined um you know all this info and into a preferred alignment and uh that preferred alignment is is now pretty solid and we've identified about in that preferred alignment we've identified about 200 miles of gaps that where there is no really suitable alternative there there is you for all the gaps there is a detour but it usually means you're descending you know a couple thousand feet on a road where it would be a heck of a lot more fun on the trail or you're detouring over to a highway where it's just dangerous or it's just um, a really awkward long roundabout detour just to you know where if there was a trail there it would only be a couple miles so uh yeah our, our our marching orders now are really you know looking at those gaps prioritizing them working with the regional groups that are in the area to see if that you know figuring out solutions for those gaps and seeing if those solutions would be a priority for those organizations. Cause really those partnerships at the local and regional levels are, um, what's going to make this idea happen. Uh, we're, you know, we are just a few people, you know, behind our So, um, relying on those organizations, um, to embrace this, this concept is, is key to its success.
0: That makes a ton of sense. And a couple of different things that I want to touch on a little more there. So I guess, First, I mean two hundred miles of gaps sort of sounds like a lot on one hand, but out of five thousand total miles, that's actually a pretty small percentage of the, the yeah. total. So it's about yeah, it's
1: about five five percent. Um so we're 95% complete is a good way to look at it.
0: Right. Yeah. And of that remaining nearly five thousand or you know, forty, eight hundred miles of existing trail, how much of that is stuff that is historic trail that sort of exists on the maps, but needs some significant refurbishment to really be rideable versus how much of that
1: is all ready to go right now. Right. That's, um, you know, I should clarify that so that 4,800 miles, uh, is about half on dirt roads or half and half single track. Um, so Uh, overall, over the, all the 5,000 miles, I think it's about 40, 45% single track. And then, um, the rest is mostly dirt roads with about five to 10% on pavement, uh, of the single track sections that are, are technically in the inventory, but, um, are of an unknown status is that's still to be determined. That's a big, uh, that's sort of the next big inventory push is getting the scouts to go out and. Um, do more trail reports of the specific trail alignments just to identify what, uh, how much work each section is going to take. Yeah, that makes sense. And
0: I'd just be curious to hear some more too about that scouting process and how you went about thinking through what to link up where and how, because I can only imagine that once you start wading into this, the number of, theoretical potential options in a lot of areas actually balloons pretty quickly and depending you have this complexity of figuring out you know you have segment a here b c the whole bunch of kind of a network of things that you could at least in principle connect in a whole bunch of different ways and it seems to me like it would probably turn into a pretty complex thing pretty quickly to what extent is that actually the case versus sort of how often was it the case that it seemed like the kind of clear, most promising route fell into place without there being a million other options that could possibly be viable as well. Yeah,
1: there's. Uh, I can't think of anywhere really that <laughs> where there was one option and one obvious option. Yeah, uh, it definitely looks like you know a pile of spaghetti thrown on the map uh, most of the time, and uh, we did we we do have a a set of guidelines to what is what would create our preferred alignment. We really want to prioritize a backcountry single track experience. So, you know, if there's a a trail that goes up and over a mountain and a road that goes around the mountain that's easier and shorter, we're still going to take the trail because it's a single track trail. Uh and we also don't have like a preferred direction. So, you know, a lot of times people would be like, okay, we're going north. We're going to take all the, on all the uphills, we're going to take the roads. And on all the downhills, we're going to choose the trails. Um, yeah. instead of doing it that way, because we don't really know if north or south is going to, which direction is going to be a preferred direction. Uh, we're just going to choose the, we're going to, we're going to choose whichever way would be fun in the downhill direction. Uh, so, um, you know, that what, which is going to be great if you're going downhill, but it's also going to suck if you're going uphill. So uh, so there's definitely a lot of, you know, there will, there will be, it'll be really difficult. There'll be a lot of hike a bike and a lot of um, technical challenge and and whatnot. But the, the, the sort of the mindset there is that, you know, there are really good mapping apps now. So, the trail itself is going to be very hard, but it's pretty easy to find a, figure out a gravel road detour. You know, if you if you just decide you're cooked for the day and you don't want to go over another pass, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out a road detour. Whereas, if the OrGenesis route was all on gravel roads, it's a little bit more complicated to figure out, you know, what trails to take if you want to jump on trails.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and I like that approach of just favoring interesting single track and like you said it's much easier to find gravel detours if that's what you're after than the other way around. So that makes a lot of sense. So how is the scouting going at this point? You've mentioned that you're kind of in the midst of a big push to have people actually get out and put eyes on the whole segment and kind of what's that process been like and where are you at on it?
1: Yeah, it's You know, it's not a ton different than the scouting process to date. Uh, You know, people are out submitting trail reports. Um, What I haven't done, what we'll probably do over the winter is develop a tool to sort of, now that we have a sort of a, mostly a singular line, preferred alignment, uh, create some database of all the different segments, each little trail that um, it uses. And, and then have a, you know, a field for its maintenance status. Like when was the last time it was maintained if no one or just what it, you know, how bad of state it is it's in. So that'll really, I think most of that scouting will probably happen next season. You know, we're, we're going to launch version 1.0 of the trail uh, next spring, summer. Uh, but that'll be, that'll have a big asterisk next to it, you know, because really we want that launch to generate a lot of interest, to generate a lot of people to go out there and, then give us feedback that the, the trail is not passable in this area, in this area, but this area is awesome or this has a great view and it's worth the hike a bike to get there and that sort of thing.
0: That makes a lot of sense too. And to loop back to something that you touched on a little bit earlier, I you mentioned kind of having it really be a priority to coordinate with local trail advocacy groups and get them involved in helping with The sections that run through the areas that they cover. And so, I mean, that certainly to me sounds like the way to do it just sort of in large part because those groups have established infrastructure. They have relationships with the local land managers and a whole bunch of infrastructure in place that makes it a lot easier to just make headway rather than having someone parachute in from out of state and start trying to figure things out. But how has that all been going and kind of what have the responses been like when you reach out to folks and be like, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. Will you help?
1: Uh, It's been fabulous. It's, it's super cool to see, uh, you know, people get excited about that. You know, it's really neat to stand on the ground somewhere with some people in the, in the middle of their region on a, you know, along a river on a on a ridge line or something. And being able to point that way is Canada and that way is Mexico, you know, like that, that's really neat. It, it's hard for people to really think about their local trail systems like that. Uh, so people have been really excited, and 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 really, you know, there's there's a ton out there that you know just it's maps can teach you a lot. But there's talking to people on the ground, they have always provided suggestions that end up being much better alignments uh, in, in it almost every region. Um, that's that's where some of the best alignments have come from is from, from those local groups and, and just learning, you know, there's most of this is on, on federal land. So there is, you know, in theory, some these federal policies that should be the same across all jurisdictions. But uh, in, in reality, that's never the case. So, you know, like you said, each one of these groups has a relationship with the local land managers and those relationships are similar, but everyone is different. So it's really, yeah, I think it's really important to work with them to, to do the volunteer, that volunteer service agreement and um, figure out the alignment and just, you know, uh, figure out gap solutions just because everybody operates a little bit differently.
0: Sure. So we've danced around the route a little bit and, you know, mentioned that it's going all the way through the U.S. and down Baja, but tell us about what the plan is in a little more detail, kind of run us through it and I guess start at whichever end you'd prefer. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: I will start at the, at the Southern end just arbitrarily. Uh, So this, I think most people ride the Baja divide from North to South. Uh, It crosses the U S Mexico border in Tecate uh, and goes South. It sort of zigzags across back and forth across the peninsula. Um, It is an amazing route. Uh I think the reason most people travel south is because the prevailing winds, um, at least during the winter, are coming uh from from the north, so they'll be at your back. Uh and the Baja Divide route, you know, will it, it's got a limited window for riding because it's just too hot in the summer to ride most of it. Um so you really are looking at like December through April, um November, December, maybe through April. Um where where temps are reasonable in Baja. Um, going farther north, the, the next section, so we, the Orogenesis route is now made up of, uh, well, there's technically there's three sections of the Baja Divide, then there's four sections in California, four sections, or, or the Timber Trail is one section. And then in Washington, uh, there's another section. So. Each one of those sections we call a trail, like the Oregon Timber Trail, or the Colmonte Trail in Washington. And then those trails are broken down by into tiers as well. Um, so I'll sort of glaze over the tiers. But uh, so going north from the, the Mexican border is the Enio de Los Angeles, which uh, is a route that rings around the metro area of Los Angeles. There's actually pretty amazing um, public land and trail of uh, continuity around the metro area, just just right there next to those millions and millions of people, which is super cool. Uh, there's a really active trail group there called the uh, Lowlifes that uh, I've vol- you know traveled down and volunteered with last summer. Um, they're doing amazing work that is really in perfect alignment um, with orogenesis. Uh, they just did this major restoration of a Condor Peak Trail, which is uh, you know I think it was burned in a fire. I'm going to misspeak here, but 15 years or so ago and, uh, just never was maintained since totally overgrown and they restored this whole 12 mile descent, um, from, from peak to, to the valley floor. So super cool. Uh, then going farther north, it, uh, splits at Lake Isabella and Kernville, uh, and you go up, go up and over the, uh, Kern plateau, uh, for the Sierra Camino. And then down into the like the 395 Valley on the east side of the Sierra, and that travels um, north. It's still sort of up in the air right now. It goes through Death Valley uh, before going to Bishop, and then north to Tahoe. Um, and there's a there's an already a group working on a on a project there to create sort of a towns to trails alignment, uh, which is a pretty massive undertaking. So we'll probably really. You know, work with them and and see what comes out of that process before we finalize that alignment. On the west side of the Sierra is the Sierra Oeste, and that just winds in and out of the valleys, the foothills of the Sierra. Um, That's probably the most challenging uh, of of all the trails to find the alignments for, just because private lands, you know, go pretty far up into the mountains. And then they hit national parks, which also don't allow, allow bikes on their trails, typically. But we're, we're working. There's a there's some scouts that have just spent countless hours in there. I've actually got a bike packing trip, um, coming up in a few weeks down there with some folks with some of those scouts. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we'll figure it out. And that goes, that continues up to Tahoe and then, uh, just in south of Tahoe, there's this area called the virtuous valleys that, uh, where those two trails reconnect and then, uh, uses the Tahoe rim trail. And then up through uh, the Sierra Boots Connected Communities uh, project, which is another really inspiring project that the Sierra Boots Trail Stewardship um, is working on. And then we connect to a rail trail that takes us almost all the way to the Oregon border, where you connect with the Timber Trail across the whole state of Oregon. And then into Washington is the the Trail uh, from across the Columbia River Gorge at Hood River. And I think it's about 140 miles winding through the Gifford Vich National Forest to Packwood, and uh, pretty challenging alignment uh, from between Packwood and uh, It's you've got Mount Rainier National Park and a bunch of wilderness, and um, you know the road cor- the highway corridors are really a lot of times the only feasible alignment. So working, some, working on some ideas with the local groups there as well. Uh, and then yeah, for, from Cleelum, uh there's the cross cross Washington mountain bike route that uh we're using that alignment between Cleveland and Wenatchee. And then north of Wenatchee we get uh up and over to Twist, and then uh a little bit farther is the Canadian border. And uh just in the last couple months, uh, you know, we've gotten a lot of people wondering why it just stops at the Canadian border. So um, I'm sure it's going to extend uh, into Canada at, at some point here soon too. But we had to sort of put some some bookends down it just for our own sanity. Sure. Yeah, uh, that is quite a lot already. So
0: I, I understand uh, wanting to put some boundaries on the whole deal. And one thing that I'm curious about too is how you imagine or hope people will really wind up using the trail once it's fully up and operational. I mean, obviously you've analogized it to the mountain biking version of the PCT already. And I, am sure that there will be some people who want to go for the full through ride and do the whole thing. But I can also just, it makes sense to me that there'd be having this, even if you're not going to go do the whole thing, having just discrete sections that people can go lop off and have it be an easy way to go do a bike packing trip of really whatever length you're inclined to in a whole bunch of different areas is pretty cool too. So how do you envision it in that sense? And what are your hopes and dreams for how people will use the trail?
1: Yeah, that's, um, an an interesting question and a great point. It, you know, it, it is super complicated to ride the whole thing. So, uh, we're, you know, we've got high temps in the desert, uh, and we've got snowpack in the mountains and there's really, you know, if you, yeah, there's, it's really difficult to ride it just with the amount of time you need to ride it, um, is, is probably about five months, but, uh, just trying to fit that in the right seasons to go through the desert and, you know, also avoid the snowpack in the mountains is difficult. Uh, so I'm really curious to figure find out which direction is the most feasible and, um, you know, what, what the proper season, how you link up the seasons to actually ride it is going to be. Uh, obviously very few people are going to be able to do that for, you know, a million different reasons. Um, so just like the Pacific Crest Trail and uh, also with the Oregon Timber Trail in our rider survey, we found only about. You know, 7 to 10% of people were riding the whole Oregon Timber Trail. Uh, The most, about 75% of people were doing day rides on the Timber Trail, which is, you know, super fascinating. They're just out riding their mountain bike, but they chose to ride their mountain bike in this one area because they knew it was part of this bigger vision, this long distance trail that, you know, it's just inspiring to be on a trail. Even if you're only riding five miles, it's cool to know that you're on a trail that's actually 5,000 miles long. So, um, that's, you know, that's going to be, I think, similar with our Genesis. That's how most people are going to ride our Genesis is just, you know, go out and do day rides. Uh, we also developed this tier loop program with the timber trail that was every time we published a tier loop, we'd, uh, it would be, it would have a ton of success if, if our website saw the most traffic for these tier loops out of anything we ever published. So that, and those are developed. For a beginner to intermediate mountain biker that can do, you know, a trip in two to four days or so sort of a long weekend, but still have this. Oh, and it's a loop; it's not a point to point, so that makes you know transportation logistics a lot easier. But it still encapsulates the the overall aesthetic and gestalt of of that tier or of that area. So those are those are really popular. I foresee you know producing those up in, all on Orogenesis as well, in partnership with those local groups and tourism agencies to really, you know, talk about how, you know, most of us can go ride Orogenesis um, versus just the, the very few elite people that have, you know, incredible strength and fortitude in five months where they don't have to work.
0: Right. I like that. Since we've been saying it a whole bunch, but haven't actually touched on this bit yet, tell us about the name Orogenesis. Where'd that come
1: from and what's the thinking behind it? Yeah, it's, uh, so orogenesis is essentially, uh, the word for mountain making. It's a geologic term where two tectonic plates smash into each other and and push, you know, push mountains up. Uh, we were originally calling this the Pacific Orogeny Trail and that, uh, raised a little too, too many eyebrows, I think. And it was a little, you know, sort of a mouthful. So we shortened it to Orogenesis and I like that so much better because it, it breaks the mold of the, the X, Y, Z trail. Um, it's sounds a lot more active and alive than just a, you know, a a sort of a noun for a trail. So it's a, it's a process and and it's a movement. So, um, I like it a lot. And actually, if you look at the, the Latin root Oro is golden and Genesis is beginning. So I call it the golden beginning. Um, So that's, that's the name. I I can't take credit for it. Uh, One of the, one of the scouts uh, uh, came up with that idea originally.
0: It's really good. I'm with you on being quite fond of it. And so, I mean, this is all super exciting. And just the idea of having this option coming together is quite cool one thing i'd be curious about and i actually know very little on this one but how much did you sort of study and learn about the development of the pct as sort of a roadmap for what you were hoping to do here versus just having to form a bit of a different template because the logistics around mountain biking and allowing for mountain bikes to pass through are different than they are for hikers and all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. it's You know, I've, I've done quite a bit. So the PCT, it, it, I think the PCTA, the organization behind the PCT was founded in the seventies, but the idea for the PCT has existed since the thirties and it actually Oregon can take credit for the creation of the PCT there, there was a route um it was actually it's, it's actually interesting so where i live um just outside of salem there's a early oregonian uh by the name of john waldo he people call him oregon's john Muir. and this is pre national forest late 1800s he um was an early conservationist uh and spent a lot of time in the mountains and all the way from mount hood to mount shasta just up and down the the cascade range and uh you know he you clear a lot of trails, found a lot of, uh, indigenous trails. Um, as that developed as, you know, you know, even then recreating was becoming more and more popular in the mountains. Uh, and people started to see the value of having a trail that, uh, spanned the whole state north to sorts. So they created this thing called the Oregon skyline trail that was Mount hood to crater Lake. And that, you know, that passes right, uh, Right in my backyard, basically, just just up the the canyon from me, um, it, I can actually go out. The PCT has is now that uh, there, but the alignment of that has shifted a lot. You know, between the from the Oregon Skyline Trail 100 years ago to the PCT where it is today, that alignment has shifted a lot over over the years. So it's super fun to go up. I I've poured over countless old maps and you know gone up there on my uh, their bike and. You know, parked it and hiked into the woods, looking at these old maps on my phone and actually able to find these hundred year old trails just lying under a layer of moss, looking at the old blazes and stuff. So super fascinating treasure hunt. Um, and that's the old Pacific Crest Trail. So I've, I've really looked, you know, at a lot of those historic trails and, um, at some of that Skyline Trail, uh, for, uh, or Genesis alignments and, and the Oregon Timber Trail as well. Um, But actually, the formation of creating the trail, uh, you know, I think the Pacific Crest Trail was created in the 60s, and and that was just sort of the formal designation, I believe. I think they were building sections, um, you know, in the 40s and 50s leading up to that. And all that predates the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, So it was just an entirely different political landscape. At that time, building trails uh, was f- far easier. I, I'm sure there was some process and some red tape at that time, uh, but it pales in comparison to what the process is for proposing new trails today is. So, haven't really, you know, looked too much to the BCTA as far as how they are, um, how it started. They've done. They are a really Dialed organization, so a lot of their they have a whole curriculum on trail maintenance, you know, uh, with you know multiple different courses. It's it's really something to aspire to, and those are available for free online. So you know I've definitely leaned on that a lot um, for our volunteer events. Just that that sort of resource that they built. Um, so definitely bits and pieces here and there. Um, you know, don't, no need to reinvent the wheel because someone's already done a lot of that work. But it's also, yeah, a much different landscape now than it was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago.
0: Yeah,
1: that that makes sense. And I'm sure that
0: the list of challenges in getting this project off the ground have been innumerable. But have there been any that surprised you or things that have proved to be kind of differently challenging or more challenging or even less challenging than you thought that they might be going in when you got things started?
1: Yeah, it's you know what one thing that's really been helpful, and this this happened in a smaller degree with the Oregon Timber Trail, is these every area is different and has different challenges, uh, and sometimes you know you're just hitting your head against the wall just because there's no, you know there's just there isn't the will in either, you know, a local trail organization or the land manager or whatnot, or there's just some, some blockade to progress. And because it's such a long trail and we have, you know, dozens of different projects to focus on, we can pivot and focus on a different project pretty easily. When we hit blockades, we don't have to keep hitting our head against that wall. Uh, And on the same vein, each organization has found, you know, or each different region or organization has found different ways to to solve problems. So there's one of these gap solutions um, outside of Truckee, and I've you know got gotten to know some of the local trail organizations and talked a lot about uh, this trail alignment through the area, which is or sort of a solution for this gap. And this has been ongoing for you know. Several years now, um, I've gone out and scouted on several, you know, ridden and hiked on several different occasions in the area. thought we were getting, you know, I think we were like getting ready to, you know, officially propose we restore this historic trail. And literally just this morning, get an email from some, one of these, one of these scouts, uh, Kurt Gensheimer, uh, who's a local of the area. Um, He's, he talked with the, I think it was the Truckee Donner Land Trust, which is a conservation org that's been. Buying up a lot of private land and, and um, turning it into national forest land in the area, uh, and apparently they've been working on a parallel, you know, essentially a trail parallel to what we're, we've been working on, but are much farther ahead in that planning process. Uh, so that's just one of those light bulb moments where I'm like, oh, you know, that's great. It's uh, this is already happening. Um, and they're ahead, of, you know. They're on the ball and, and farther along the process than we are even close to being. So, uh, you know, just having a lot of those serendipity moments, being like, "Oh yeah, this isn't this isn't just a harebrained idea." Other people are trying to do the same thing at a local level, uh, and and might already have better solutions than we've come up with. That's heartening. And
0: how has it been, sort of finding and identifying the? local groups to work with, because in so many places, it's not as if there is necessarily even one local advocacy organization that you would connect with. There are a bunch and they're doing kind of different things. And I'm sure that just the logistics of finding the right folks to even start talking with has been a challenging one. What's that looked like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, really... I would say most of the limitation is just my capacity uh, to, you know, have these conversations all over the place. So I need to figure out a system to, you know, focus on different projects or different regions, you know, like one year at a time or something, instead of trying to focus on all 5000 miles, you know, all the time. Because uh, really, those those organizations and those people aren't too difficult to find. It's a lot of just asking around um, with some of the scouts that are in the area, and you know that's how a lot of them come to surface. We've we've got a little database that we've started with all the scouts and the trail organizations and land managers and contacts and stuff. So um, finding these people has been relatively easy, uh, but. You know, there's my time capacity and then most of these trail organizations are all volunteer trail organizations as well. So, you know, we don't want to like give them more work to do, even even meeting with us to talk about our genesis isn't, you know, an hour or two out of their day. So we don't really want to just pile on work to, to these volunteer organizations. We'd rather be able to come in as part of a solution, you know, bring money to their projects or or volunteer uh, labor to these projects and and really get things done that they're already trying to do. Um, And I think that, you know, just greases the skids when you try to work with them to solve their problems that they already are dealing with.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably a good segue into one thing I wanted to ask here too, is that if there are folks out there listening to this and wanting to help or contribute to the project in some way, I guess one what sorts of assistance would be useful and how might they get involved?
1: Yeah, so the a great uh, question. And the best way to get involved is uh, on our our website. Uh, We're part of Bikepacking Roots, which is a nationwide bikepacking organization. So if you just Google Origenesis or go to the Bikepacking Roots uh, website, which is bikepackingroots.org, you'll find the Origenesis page. And on there, there's a newsletter sign up. Um, if you sign up for that, you can sort of check which area interest is of most interest to you. Uh, and then we've got an email list for each one of those different regions and, and that's just a a group email list So scouts can coordinate with each other. Um, talk about, you know, different options, trip reports, that sort of thing. So that's the best way to get involved. That'll get you, uh, any, any updates trail wide or any of those region specific updates. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram or, or Genesis Collective on there.
0: Yeah. And we'll put some links in the show notes to those things to make it a little easier to find them. Gabe, this has been a lot of fun and really interesting. Are there any kind of final parting thoughts you want to share before we wrap this up? Or is that
1: kind of a good place to leave it off? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think like just to build on what you said, the, you know, the most beneficial thing I think people can do it is also the most fun thing is just go ride the trails, uh, and report back, you know, even, even if you don't want to type up a scout report and send it to me, uh, just submitting a trail report on trail forks is, is super helpful. Po- super helpful. You know, if I'm trying to schedule a volunteer maintenance event on the middle of nowhere on a trail, I'm not super familiar with the first place I check for just figure out its status is looking on trail fork. So just use there. It's super easy to use their uh, submit feature um, or you know, via that, that email list that I just mentioned, um, submit trail report on there. We've got sort of a master uh, uh, directory with all the scout reports in it. So um, yeah, just go out, have fun, take photos and type up a little report of what you wrote and how was it.
0: Easy enough. Gabe, this has been great and really just wishing you all the best with the project it's an exciting one and looking forward to seeing it move forward so thanks for coming on to chat it's been great and all the best with the aurora Genesis project going forward absolutely thanks for having me all right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always i want to say thanks to gabe for the conversation thanks to taylor ahern for producing the episode and thanks to you for listening From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.